Here's what Psalm 51 has to say to us. To the choir master, the Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The reading of God's word. Our high and lifted up sermon series. This is the last sermon on this subject. I get the privilege and the honor to close out a sermon. Wow, Pastor Tim's letting me do that. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Pastor, for reading the scripture. We're talking about four pillars of worship. The first one was preparation, which means how to prepare your heart to meet your king. The second one was adoration. How can your hearts be filled with adoration to salute our God and praise? The third one was proclamation. How do you bend and bow to the weight of God and his word to be transformed by it? Today, I will preach on application. How can you leave this place to serve God in our worship? and to be completely changed that we would not just have a worship service, but a worship experience. Now, I want to do a little bit of a recap, and I'm going to try to make this quick uh, before I actually get into the Word. And uh, it was week one where we had Pastor Kyle and Pastor Tony together, and they were teaching on preparation, and it was Psalm 95. I'm getting a little bit of an echo, so if you can bring me down just a bit. So in preparation, Pastor Tony's key points were, we need to develop our own personal worship. It never works if it's something you don't love. 
Then he asked a question. He said, do you love him? Do you love Jesus? And Pastor Tony said that our God is a speaking God. He says, you don't just think of praise. Then he quickly went over seven words that deal with praise. He said, Toda, Yala, Hala, Shabak, Zamar, Barak, and Tehillah. And we'll talk about those a little bit later. And then over here at 2nd Street in preparation, Pastor Kyle's key points were, he started with Isaiah 6.1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw him, or I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And that's actually the title of the sermon. Pastor Kyle began to talk about high and lifted up, how our God is bigger and greater than ever before. He defined worship as worthship, which was powerful, meaning that God is worthy of all of our life and all of our praise. And he said that we should live a lifestyle of praise and worship. He said we should walk in joyfulness, we should walk in cheerfulness, and that we should constantly be rejoicing. And he said we as a congregation need to sing for real. He said your worship reflects understanding what God has done, and he said, when was the last time you opened up your mouth loudly and began to raise your voice to give God the praise and the glory due to him in reverence? And he once again referenced to bow down before the Lord. But most importantly, what Pastor Kyle explained to us in the first week is that this is something that we need to act upon and do today. He made an urgent plea as he said today. And he said the key of hearing God's voice is that we must learn how to worship him. And a lack of true worship always connects to a lack of belief and a hardened heart. Wow. Then the next week, Pastor Tim in Psalms 145 dealt with my favorite, adoration. Pastor Tim began talking about his mother's blackberry pie and how he believes that most of us deep down inside really want to worship God. So when you think about that statement, and you think about what Pastor Kyle and what Pastor Tony said, that we are missing something possibly, that we are lacking in our worship, even though we get some of the best word on this here side of the hill, we get great teaching as our pastor is very thorough, our lead pastor and how he teaches, and we get powerful word, but they seem to believe that we might be missing something in worship as our leadership and our staff believes that this message in this series would completely change our worship and that when it's done, that our worship experience would be completely different than it ever has been at Cornerstone. Wow, that's a tall task that we expect at the park this weekend that we will see worship like we've never before because we will teach on an element of worship today as we show through the word of God how we are truly supposed to worship to take our worship to another level of a worship experience. And he said we need to get rid of, Pastor Tim said, need to get rid of the distractions. And he said, our praise is a gift to God. Wow, what a powerful statement. That when we come to church, and he said that back in the Old Testament, they never came before the king without a gift. And he said that we need to bring a gift, which is our praise before God. Come, let us offer a sacrifice price of, of, of praise that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto God. What a powerful statement. So our praise is a gift to God. He talked about to extol, to lift up God. Then he also said that to bless God is to worship him on bended knees, which is a concept of to genuflect, to worship on bended knees or to bow before the Lord. 
He said, do we have a heart of adoration? Have we really grasped the greatness of God and declare it? And he stated that there is power in praise. And that we need to meditate on the word of God. And that's the key to our growth in true worship. Now, for me personally, the principle of meditation is something that I apply in my disciplines regularly. I love to meditate sometimes for an hour or so on just the word of God. As I was up at 4 o'clock this morning meditating on the word and worshiping, I pictured you all as you sit right now and begin to pray that you would understand these concepts of worship and that your worship would be changed forever. So I pray that you listen with spiritual ears what's about to be said, that it would change the destiny of Cornerstone and our worship. But most importantly, Pastor Tim talked about how worship is part or in part shows the creation of God. And he says that when our worship in the creation of God has no more words to be said, then our worship turns towards the redemptive power of God. Now that was such a powerful statement because God is great. And we see God through creation as Matt sang the song, So I talked about the creation of God. That song was beautifully crafted because then it goes into the worship of God because of his redemption. And that how he would chase us down that we might be redeemed from our sin. That means so much to me personally because I was a bad player. I was lost and on my way to hell. And God saw fit to redeem me. If I can be redeemed, if I could receive salvation, then anyone could. God is a good God. And he leads us towards that. Pastor Tim in Psalms 19 talked about proclamation. That was last week. And he said, God speaks publicly. Wow. God speaks powerfully. And God speaks personally. Now that was a powerful statement from our lead pastor. Meaning that a lot of times in our evangelical settings, when someone says, God said, we're real careful about what God, be careful when you say God says, as though God can't speak to us. I don't want a God that can't speak to me. But as Pastor Kyle constantly says, he speaks, but do you hear his voice? And do you position yourself to hear his voice? And Pastor Tim said that he speaks personally. If you want deep, deep change in your life, it's brought about with an experience with Jesus. God speaks. But he said the problem is, do we hear? Do we know how to hear? He said, turn off the radio. He said, turn off the podcast, the noise, the TV. He said, take 15 minutes of complete silence and think on God's creation, but also on his word. It takes faith to hear. Then he said, ask yourself this question. God, are you speaking to me? And ask yourself that question right now. Say, God, say, God, are you speaking to me? The word of God is your authority. Now I'm going to now switch into the sermon after that lengthy introduction. And we'll talk about how do we apply what we've learned and how do we apply 
true worship in the body of Christ. Now, because of my lack of time, this sermon in part is going to be a bit more topical than we are normally used to. Expository preaching is, is a good exegesis and study to expose truth in, in, in select scriptures, but also inductive or narrative sermons can also be expository. So I'm going to try my best to have an expositional balance in my sermon, which is what you guys are more used to. So as Pastor Kyle read Psalm 51, we understand that the first 12 verses deals with David's penitence, his repentance, and his confessions, and his plea for pardon. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about this story of Psalms 51 so we can get a little bit of background. So David, as some would refer to the original window peeper, was in his palace, and as he peeped over the wall, he peeped over to another castle or palace, and he saw Bathsheba. And he said, ooh, la, la. And he said, someone go grab her and bring her to me. Now, David knew that she belonged to someone else, but he grabbed her and said, bring her to me. And as she went to David, she said, what will thou need of me, thy king? I'm speaking in uh, King James right now. And she said, what do you want? And David took her and he lied with her. He went unto her, which means that he slept with her. She became pregnant, and when David found word that Bathsheba was pregnant, he knew that she had a husband. So he summons her husband, who was in battle, fighting for the army of the Lord. And he summons him and brought him to his palace, off the front line. And as he dealt with him, he says, look, you're a faithful man. Look, I want you to go back with a message to the army, but stay for the night. You've served me well. Go lay in with your wife, and then the next day you can go back to the war. Well, he went to his household, but he didn't go into his wife because he says, how can I go have pleasure when my brethren are fighting in the army? So David said, I really have issues now. And as I'm paraphrasing the scriptures, you can read for yourself. David said, I got some issues. So what David did was he gave the man a note and sent it to the captain of the armies and it said, put him in the most ferocious part of the battle that he would die. And it happened. So then David took Bathsheba and married her. Now, as David was enjoying Bathsheba and as they were about to have a child, the prophet Nathan came to David and told him a story that was similar to what David did. And he said, David, O king, what would thou have to do with a man like this? And David said, he needs to die. And Nathan the prophet said, that would be you. And David was broken completely in his heart. And that's what you hear in the beginning of Psalms 51, to where he starts in similar of most of his Psalms to say, Lord, have mercy on my soul. He pleads with God and says, have mercy. He said, have mercy on me even before he went over the sin that he actually committed. And he said, have mercy on me. He said, God, I need you to act like God. I need you to forgive me. I need you to cleanse me and wash me only as you can do. It's really interesting that it denotes to cleanse me over and over again by any means and whatever it takes that I can be right before you, God. I need you. But the interesting thing that he states is he says, but create in me 
a new heart, renewing me a right mind. And the interesting thing that I love about this, which is part of my personal life, is and please, and please, God, whatever you do, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. See, you have to understand that David didn't have the comforter living on the inside. Back then, the Holy Spirit would, Spirit would come upon you. It wasn't in you. And David said, I need your Holy See, David had an understanding of praise and worship. David had an understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit. See, David, as a young boy, was brought by the king, King Saul, to his palace to praise and worship God before the king that would deliver him from evil spirits. David knew how to praise God, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit would bring deliverance to God's people. So he knew and he said, God, whatever you do, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Now we move to Psalms 57. We see Dave now in the cave of Abdullam. And David is there after he's been hunted by King Saul. And he finds himself hidden in a cave, the man of God. And the word of God says that some came to him and knocked on the cave door. He opened it and it said these were men that were in distress. Whew. It said these were men that were in debt. And it said these were men that were bitter in spirit. So he got three types of men that all came to David. Some 400 men came to David. And he's just sitting there going, what do I do with all these people that are broke with bad attitudes and ain't got no money and are stressed out? And it's interesting that we see chapters later that these men became mighty men of valor. So did David have Bible studies? There were no Bibles. David only knew the power of worship on the Holy Spirit and the power of praise. So can you see David with all these men looking at him going, I'm stressed out, I'm broke. I'm bitter in my soul. David just went into the cave. And, I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. I worship you, O oh, Prince of Peace. That is what I long to do. I give you praise. And he began to worship. And as he began to worship, the resin of his worship covered the walls and all through the cave. And they saw the men, the goodness of God, and they saw David as he lived a lifestyle of worship, and it affected them to bring change in their lives. And then we also look at Psalms 142, which is another song about his experience in that same cave. David wrote two songs about the experience in that cave, which have to do with him worshiping God to bring deliverance to his men and the people of God. So we see this important part of worship. There's power in praise of worship. Looking at David's life in these three songs, we can draw some conclusions, church, about the importance of living that lifestyle of worship, which includes repentance, forgiveness, and intimacy. You know, just a quick note. I have to say this. Can I throw this in? This one's free. When you walk in forgiveness, unforgiveness, that hinders your worship. As Pastor Kyle said, today we need to act on this. If you walk in unforgiveness, 
And if your hands are drenched with unforgiveness, it's so hard for you to enter in and experience the presence of God. Anybody in our church from the top down that has not walked in complete forgiveness, that needs to happen. Especially if we're believing God for this worship experience that we're believing God to have. Amen? Amen. There's truly power in praise and worship. This is not an opinion statement. This is Bible. Worship is not just about music, musicians, worship leaders, or songs. It must be first guided by Scripture, the Word of God, and when we must all participate in worship. We can't just be in a service and some of us opening our mouths and some It's everyone has to participate. And why would we not? Especially when we realize how great our God is through creation and the act of redemption. We are saved. We are saved. We don't have to go to hell. That should make you shout all by itself. His redemptive power, that's something to praise God about. Isaiah 61.3 tells us to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That word is Tehillah, and I'll talk about that later. Psalms 22.3, God is holy and inhabitous, which means to dwell, marry, remain, settle, or actually ambush our praise. He inhabits the praise of his people. That word is also Tehillah. You know what's really, really amazing and quite profound is that we take and study and we preach songs, which are psalms that teach us how to worship in psalms that are mainly songs. Okay, you'll get that in a little bit. So now I'm going to take a shift in the message. It won't be as much homiletical as we're used to. And I want you to think for a second. The interesting thing about falling asleep is you don't know when you're asleep. Interesting thing about falling asleep is you don't know when you're asleep. Makes sense, right? You don't know when you're asleep. You only realize that you've been asleep when you wake up. Until somebody or something wakes you up, then you realize you've been asleep. Could it be that we are falling asleep spiritually and need something or some word or somebody to wake us up pertaining to worship so that we can experience God in worship. Men! Men! Raise your hand if you're a man. Whoa, we are men. We are leaders. We are leaders in our household. We lead our families. Notice how my voice is getting deep because I'm a man. We are men. Men, we are to lead our families, our spouses, and our children in worship. When worship starts, that's not time to talk in the foyer. That's not time to sip your coffee. That's time that the men come to the front of the church and lead the way with their wife and their children, lifting up holy hands together and crying and calling out to God in the beauty of his holiness. That's what will change our worship experience. The men have to lead the way. Well, I have a bad voice, so I, it doesn't matter. I'm shy. I, it doesn't matter. We're to make a joyful noise. 
Come, let us offer a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, words, giving thanks unto the Lord. When it's time to worship, the men should rush to the front. Elders, deacons, pastors should lead the way. They should be front and center, just thirsting for the presence of God. Am I in trouble yet? That has to be our mindset as we look for a paradigm shift in our worship. Now, I'm not talking about our pastors, but isn't it funny how pastors in church usually are just somewhere else, and then, you know, they, and then when it's time to preach, they come, you know, they're not usually, you know, you know they're not usually front and center. And we follow our leaders as they follow Christ. So imagine in our church if all of our leaders and deacons and elders and everybody on staff and ministry would all be in the front just waiting for the first note to just to strike so that we can lift up our voice and lead our congregation in praise and worship to God. I know some of you are thinking you're going to be in trouble at staff meeting tomorrow morning. Yes, I will be. But it's all right. That needs to happen. Men, go and find your place in worship. Look into your pain and find your praise. Every low place, men, in your life prepares you for your high place. And every tear you cry is water for the garden of your victory. Men, even though you might be in the valley, your victory comes through your adversity. So men, go and find your place in worship. There was a farmer who had a dog, and Bingo was his name. B-I-N-G-O, B-I-N-G-O, B-I-N-G-O and Bingo. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Was the dog's name Bingo or was the farmer? See, we always thought it was the dog, but who says? See, we take things and we take concepts and we don't even understand what they really might mean. All this time, I've been deceived. Could we be deceived possibly about how we worship? I think the farmer's name now was Bingo. Wow. This is, these are some interesting concepts. I want to show you now and only have a few minutes, of the seven dimensions of praise. So this is, well, how do we praise? How do we change? How do we praise? Did you know that when you see the word praise in Psalm, that it means seven different things? So when you say, I will praise the Lord in the sanctuary, we need to know what that means. So I'll start with seven dimensions. The first one, number one, is todah, T-O-D-A-H. That means to praise. It's over 30 times in the Old Testament. It means extended hands. So we see that we're supposed to lift hands. It means we're supposed to give thanks. Number two is yada, Y-A-D-A-H, which means to confess. And it has some of the same meanings as toda. It means to praise, to give thanks, but it's usually in a public setting to where we're supposed to give thanks, especially pertaining to salvation. So that means in the service, while the worship's going on, especially in the beginning, we're supposed to say, thank you, Jesus, that you saved me. Thank you, Jesus, for your redemption. We're supposed to open our mouths and say these things. We're supposed to, the fruit of our lips giving thanks. That's why the songs are going on. That's the second one. The third one 
is holla, not holla at your boy, but holla. And it means to praise, it means to be clear, to shine, to make boasts, to act clamorously foolish, to rave. So holla is over 160 times in the Bible. 160 times, Psalms 103, 34-2, 97-7, 5-5, 105-3, and more and more. And that it means to, you get to the point of where you're acting clamorously, fully, to where you just start while you're praising and just moving and strolling and, and just moving and rhythm. And I know some of you don't have much rhythm, but the rhythm that you got, you got to use. And you wave your hands and you give high fives and you, you act as though you're almost drunk in the spirit. It's action. It's getting, it's just like, Woo, how you doing, brother? And it's during the worship, clamorously, bold, God, you're awesome. You boast on God. This is during the worship. That's number three, holla. You're supposed to be active. Wear your tennis shoes so you can move. Holla. Then we have shabak. Shabak means to address in a loud voice, particularly in a sense of triumph. So Shabbat means to shout before the Lord. You know the song, shout to the Lord, shout to the Lord, three, four, shout to, shout it though, shout to, three, again, shout. Great, great. See, that's how we do it because most of us still ain't shouting, but a lot of times we sing this song, we go, shout to the Lord on the earth, let us sing power and mouth. Shout. Shout, that's Shabbat, and shout of his character. God, you're awesome, right in the middle of praise and worship. Number five is Zamar, that's Z-A-M-E-R, and that's to sing in a service and to worship, but on stringed instruments or when the musicians begin to jam. So there's not singing at first. That's at times in the service to where you just hear progressions of chords. And you just listen as they're worshiping on their instruments. It may be a nice little guitar solo, maybe a drum solo, it all depends. But they begin to worship anointed minstrels of God, begin to worship on their instruments. And you just listen, and then song begins again. So that's a time in the service that all that happened too, where it's just basically a jam session in Jesus for a little bit. That's called Zamar. That's number five. But remember, Zamar is number five. You don't start like this. You don't start with a jam session. It comes later on as this progression goes. Number six is Barak. And Pastor Tim taught about this one. That means to worship him on bended knees. So that means after you've had jams, after you've raved, after you've acted clamorously, foolish, you're all to come time in the service, that when the worship starts to get a little slower and it starts to get a little more powerful, you begin to worship God on bended knees. So you come up to the altar and kneel down before, or in your seat. And it's a time to where your worship leader or someone just sporadically might go and kneel at the altar. Then someone else, from, and you may feel to do it too. Get up and go and bend down and worship God on bended knees, lifting up your hands, extolling him. That's called to bless. And during that time, during that time, during Barak, something interesting happens. During Barak, if you can get to that sixth dimension, that's a time to win. When you're on bended knees, God starts to, in a sense, begins to answer your worship. So when you're on bended knees, he starts dealing with you. You know what you said to your wife on the way here? You know how you acted to your kids? You know what you did on the job yesterday when you left early and didn't punch out? You know when you do, he begins to convict you and deal with areas you've been dealing with your heart. And you feel that right during that time, and God begins to answer and minister to you and begins to prick your heart and convict you in certain areas and certain things. That's when you're on bended knees. 
than as you begin to repent and as you begin to cry out to God on bended knees and the song starts up again, then you go to the last dimension, which is Tehila, not tequila, but Tehila. Now, when you get into Tehila, it's interesting because that's the part that God says he won't share with anybody. That's when God abides and he comes thick into the room. Happened last night during the song Soul Alive with Matt. Matt was singing and all of a sudden Tehila hit and the Spirit of God dropped in this sanctuary. I've never seen it drop before. And the presence of God was so thick. And that's when happens. Delivery starts to place, take place. Like if you have a backache or if you have a headache or if you need a healing or cancer and things. And miracles begin to take place. And very seldom do churches even get to the point of Tehila because they won't even start with the first one because they don't want to come in with hands lifted high and confess God and shout to God. But if they will do that and go to these steps and they will begin to get into the holy of holy where God can touch, where God can heal, where God can move in your life, where God can touch you, because you know what? I would never want to be in a worship service where I don't experience the presence of God. He is so good. Now, it's interesting that some of these words pair together in Scripture. Like Psalms 35, 18, it says, I will give you yada in the great assembly amongst the throne of your people, and I will holla you. So not necessarily all seven of them. Sometimes you'll go from holla to barak into Tehillah. Sometimes you'll go, it's different. It all depends on the spirit of God and how your worship leader leads you. So I say today as I close, our church, our leaders again, been praying and really believing God that we would have a paradigm shift in our worship. Not that this would just be a worship service, but a worship experience. But it takes us to worship God. We haven't had real thorough teachers teaching on worship. You see yourself today right now what the scripture says, and we're a word church, right? We're a word church. We believe the word. You just saw it in the word on how we are to worship. And Father, right now, I repent if I failed to worship according to your word. And this day, I repent before you. And when worship happens in my church, I will be front and center and will worship you according to your word. I make that vow to the Lord right now. I pray that the men and the women would join me. I pray that you families would, when your children are with you, you would hold their hands, and when you raise your hands, you raise their hands. Before I go, I want to tell you a little story about my life. My kids, I would bring them to church, being the pastor. I taught them how to worship. They stood beside. And then at home, we would practice. We would put on, I made sure with the pool of the world, especially in an urban church, and with hip-hop music, I made sure they had the best Christian music, and they had the current Christian music, and we would sing in the car, going to places. I used times, because you can't be with your kids all the time, but on the way to school, we would praise and worship God. So it became so natural for them that it was part of their lives. We don't teach our kids how to praise and worship God. We must teach them. We must do it. They have to see us do it. How can you be in a family, men, and you not lead your family in worship? 
one of the most important elements in the Word of God? I pray right now that our church family, as I did first, would repent. And repent means to go the opposite way and that we would be a church that worships God, men first, according to the Word. Now, at the park, it's our first opportunity. So when we see Matt and others get ready for worship, that's when you set the coffee down and you stop talking to the person you haven't seen in the week and you rush towards the front and you just begin to lift your hands and worship God like you never have before. Don't nobody care what you sound like. Just make a joyful noise. I challenge you that we would worship God at the park like we never have before. And then this listen to the testimonies the next week of how God delivers us and touches us in so many areas. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor.